Well, good morning. My name is James Powell, and as of today, I am still one of the pastors of Anchors Church. I'll tell you, I feel like it's a little bit like a State of the Union address this weekend. And it's just hard not to look around the room and say the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. Come on. I'm going, I'm going to get into the message and I'm not going to belabor the moment. But I just want to take a moment and say thank you for being here this weekend. Thank you. So many of you are friends that are more like family. And uh, what a special, special weekend. Thank you for sharing it with us. Hey, we've been in a series called That's My Church. So help me and some of you break out of this sinus thing that's happening in us and say it with me one time. That's my church. Oh, come on. Could you put some emphasis on the my? That's my church. That's my church. It's your church. But it all started as Jesus Church. We started this series four weeks ago this weekend. And we begin to talk about what does it look like to be the church that Jesus started. When Jesus started the church, he talked to people about people. It was never about a building. It may take place in a building, but it's always happened through the lives of people. And so the first week we started by talking about who are we? We are the bride of Christ. We are a, an ecclesia, a community that gathers around the name of Jesus. And we said, what's one of our primary purposes? One of our primary purposes is to Worship, to worship God, to put him first, to acknowledge that he is God and we are not. And then last week we talked about this, that we would love without limits, loving each other. The scriptures tell us this, that all men will know that we are gods, that we are Christ followers, not because of our bumper sticker, not because of our cool t-shirts, not because of what we share on Facebook. They will know us by our love for each other. And I think that is one of the things that's so beautiful about Anchors Church, that it really is more like family and loves each other. But this weekend, this weekend I want to talk about that fourth primary purpose as I see it in Scripture's outline for the church. And I've titled today's message, Get Out. I figured just in case some of you wanted to say it over the last three years, I would say it for you this weekend. But get out. This weekend, I want to talk about the fact that it doesn't matter how significant it is on the inside. Until it gets out, nothing of true value changes. And so I think this weekend we can do that. Hey, I saw a lot of you about 30 years in the future this weekend. Yeah, I saw you guys. How many of you did the Old Face app? You did it? Some of you, I don't know how you translated it to this morning, but some of you figured that out. No. How many of you did that for real? Show of hands real quick, you know. Uh, and then how many of you found out the next day that the Russians have all your information, right? You were like, oh, I'll take that picture down. Here's what's interesting. In case you don't know what took place this week, which makes you incredible, honestly. Uh, but this week there was an app that resurfaced. This app was actually around about four or five years ago. But it had a new version of it, came out. And what it does is it will show you what you would look like 30 years from now. Now, at first, I would see these pictures, and I was like, that's hilarious. That's ludicrous. Then I decided I wasn't going to download it because I didn't want them stealing my information. So I went on my five-year-old's iPad, and I downloaded <laughs> the Old Face app, and I did it. And I took the picture, and you can add glasses, and I did. And I look at it side by side, and I look just like my dad. <laughs> I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
But these apps, it was crazy, man. So Braxton, he would catch people not even looking. People would drop by the house this week, and Braxton would walk up and go, hey, look at this. Boom, he'd take their picture and show them what they would look like old. So they got their faces too. But, but I, was, I was thinking what was interesting is the next day when all the information came out about the fact that now these people had all of your information, well, the only way they had it is you had to agree to the terms and conditions. Oh, no, I know some of you are brilliant people. You read the terms and conditions. Me, I just accept, right? I just want to use the app. I just, I want to use it. But then you find out you agreed to something you didn't know you agreed to. And I think in the Christian faith, if we're not careful, we buy in and we go, oh, following Jesus heals my body, restores my marriages, helps me do all of it. Marriage, some of y'all. Got excited, just one, you only get one marriage. Um, He'll restore my marriage. He'll do all of these things for me. But can I tell you there are some terms and conditions that you've agreed to? And one of them is this, is that love is not something to just be received. It is something to be re-gifted. Love has happened to us so that it might happen through us. So on this weekend, I want to go back to a very, very familiar passage in the Scriptures in John chapter 4. This is in the second half of Scripture. And I want us to talk about this woman at the well. It says this in John chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, just know this, never get trapped into the comparison game you know you compare and compete you live in defeat these guys are so distracted by who's baptizing more when they should have just said baptize me too it goes on says this although jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples verse three he left judea and departed again for galilee and he had to pass through samaria I want you to make a mental note or highlight it on the screen or in your scriptures or maybe just write it on your notes. But it says he had to pass through Samaria. Jesus did not have to geographically pass through Samaria. But there is something about purpose that will take you places that you never planned on being in the first place. That purpose told Jesus, I have to, I must go through Samaria. And so Jesus sets off and he went through a town in Samaria called Sychar. And Sychar, it's interesting, depending on how you translate this word, it can either mean the end or it can mean drunken. I think it's a bad name for a bar. But it says this, that near that field, there was a well that Jacob had. There was this, Jacob's well was in this region. It said in that field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so here Jesus, after a long journey, in which he must go through Samaria, stops at this place that some would have called the end. But he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And so even in places in your life that feel like the end, when Jesus shows up, it's always for a new beginning. Jesus shows up at this place, Jacob's well. Before we go further, I just have to tell you why I love the fact that Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well. See, there's all throughout the scriptures, we'll read these references that he was the God of Abraham. Abraham was the first man that it was counted unto him righteousness because he believed, hoped, and trusted in the promise of God. He was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Isaac. 
You got Abraham who believes the promise, Isaac who's the fulfillment of the promise. But they didn't stop there. They said, God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob's name later would be called Israel. Israel was another promise that was given, but he wasn't called the God of Israel. He was called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob was a broken man. He was the guy who was never supposed to receive the promise. He stole it. He got out of line, but God still used him. And God uses the God of Jacob, the moniker, the title, to remind all broken people that God will still use you despite your mess. And so here Jesus sits at Jacob's well. At Jacob's well. I I want you to write this in your notes. The inside doesn't get outside. If the inside doesn't get outside, the inside becomes insignificant. Insignificant. Now listen, I I love coffee cups, but I, I haven't got into these coffee cups that they write on them mug. You know, have you seen these? What is it called? Ray Dunn, Ray Dunn, you know, but it says mug, it says coffee, you know, and it's a pretty mug, but you know, sometimes you pay $20, $30 for a coffee mug. Now, have you ever got up and thought, I want a, a bad tasting coffee in a really good mug? No. You don't care how pretty the mug is, who wrote on the mug, Ray Dunn, Jim Dunn, Dunn Dunn, it don't matter. At the end of the day, what do you care about? What's in the cup? Oh, but if you just get the cup and look at the cup, you'll never be refreshed. And now Jesus is sitting at a well. There's a, there's a water all in the well. But what's inside the well that he's sitting on and what's inside the well of who he is are vastly different. And Jesus knows that what's on the inside has to get outside for it to create true and lasting change. It says in John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now this is very important. Number one, Jesus is in Samaria. Jesus is a Jewish man. Many people are already claiming that he's a rabbi. We've already read the Pharisees are upset that his disciples are baptizing people. So he's known as a very good Jewish teacher. But Jews did not associate with Samaritans. As a matter of fact, Jewish people would call the Samaritans dogs. Oh, this was the lowest of lows, the most cutting remark they could make. They were outsiders not insiders and yet Jesus sits at Jacob's well the one who would have been outside of the God of Abraham and Isaac but Jacob God still used Jacob now Jesus sits here in Samaria but not only that men didn't associate with women women didn't have rightful place they had no political power they had no working power it was their job and duty to go to this well and draw water And now Jesus sits in Samaria. He sits in this middle place. I hope for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we find ourselves in middle places like Jesus. See, remember he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through a place that people said they're just dogs. Oh, I hope that we don't buy into the fact that because in this century, in this time, in our generation, that now because we have political power, that we should allow political politics, we should allow race, we should, we should never allow these things to divide us. See, the early church knew this, they had no political power. Caesar was Caesar, and the empire was the empire, and it was oppressing the Christian people, and they had to bank on one hope, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus will always take you to the middle places. He wants us to be bridges, not barriers. And so Jesus sits in Samaria. I hope for those of us who are claiming to follow Jesus, we find ourselves in the middle places. The middle places are tough. 
Oh, it's so hard. Come on. It's easier to be left or be right, to be Republican or Democrat, to call people by their skin color, black or white. I want to be in the middle. I'm first a follower of Jesus. And because I'm a follower of Jesus, that puts me in the middle. And so it says, this woman from Samaria came to draw water. She's going about her everyday life, doing her mundane activity. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is interesting. This week I had a conversation with a friend. and He talked to me about the fact that I like to talk. And he said, look, sometimes you just need to shut up and listen, right? And, and I think it's interesting here that Jesus doesn't let this woman know what he knows yet. Oh, Jesus knows all about her because Jesus knew you long before you think you found him. And so Jesus first starts with her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria for Jews, have no dealings with Samaritans? And Jesus asked her, for a drink. When Jesus puts you into the middle places, he wants to elevate the other people, not you. See, I have to be careful that I don't think that somehow what Jesus has done in my life now lets me be a charity to other people. I'm not there to always help them up. Sometimes there's something in them that needs to unlock in me. Jesus elevates her. He says, will you give me a drink? He puts her in a place of power. He elevates her stature based on her experience. Sometimes we need to take the advice of my friend that he gave me, and we need to get in situations and just ask about them and be quiet. Jesus answered her, says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living Water. Now, here's what Jesus just did. He pulled off the greatest sermon illustration of all time. Okay, other than the water to the wine. That was pretty big too. But he's sitting on a well full of water. This woman comes to draw water at an inopportune time. Why are there no other women there? Because this woman's hiding, but we'll get there in a minute. So she comes to draw water from a well, natural water. And he says, hold on, what you're really looking for is not found in this well. It's found right here. You know what people are really looking for when you find them in the middle places? They're really looking for love. They're really looking for community. They're really looking for somebody to say, you can be a part of us. Why? Why do we have more extremes today in our society than ever before? Friends, don't buy into the lie that it's just social media and we're just hearing about it. There is this elevation of camaraderie and community. We're longing for it and we're doing whatever it takes to find it. Jesus says in this moment, hey, I've got living water. What's happening here is so different. I've got something better for you. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She misses it. Oh, when you get into the middle places and they're messy, people miss it sometimes. Oh, you'll be talking about how, hey, I love you, I care for you, and they're going to be like, what do you mean you don't even know me? You ever had that happen? Oh, man, I told you guys sometimes for me, I'll just order in Domino's pizza. I get done with the phone. I'm like, all right, thanks for me to be at 45 minutes. Awesome. Love you. <laughs> hey, love you too, man. All right, we'll bring your pizza in a minute. <laughs> People don't always understand why you love them. Oh, it's not based on commonalities. It's based on Christianity. It's that Jesus loved me so that I could love. She's looking at the exterior. If you'll get in the middle places, you'll get into positions and you'll become friends with people that other people will look at your friendships with those people and they will say, huh? 
He said, oh, no, because what stitches us together is so much more valuable than just a hobby, than just how we vote, than just where we attend. It's a true desire of love. Jesus knew that what she needed was so much more important. She needed what was inside of him more than what she needed was what in the well. She needed this, not that. I wonder if people were to taste what's inside of our lives, how they would feel. You like cold brew? You drink cold brew coffee? You don't drink coffee? You drink cold brew? No, you don't. You don't. You will spit this out. You ruin my sermon illustration. My last sermon. You spit. But you drink cold brew. All right, have some of this. This is, you know, they made this all week and have a little taste. You went in hesitant. You could trust me. I love you. All right. She likes cold brew. Now, she didn't really care about the cup. She did go around to the other side. We've been married almost 10 years, and you went to the other side to drink from it. But what's interesting is she cared way more about what was inside the cup. If what was inside the cup was dirty and nasty, it wouldn't have mattered who was holding the cup or how clean it was on the outside. In Scripture, Jesus talks about clean the inside of the cup, not just the outside of the cup. If we want people to draw living water from us, the inside of the cup, it's got to be clean. Jesus confident, hey, I know that well is deep. I know that well has provided water for generations. I know that your grandparents and great-grandparents, they went to that well, and that's where they were satisfied. They were satisfied with doing what they had seen. But now I'm bringing to you something that's unseen, and it's something here from a place of cleanness. When people bump into you and something from the inside spills, is it refreshing or is it distracting? Oh, you know what? You know when the bumps happen, right? Because if we're on like our best guard, if we're on our best guard, we're just walking around like, oh, hey, Walmart, God bless you. God bless you. You know, you got an extra 10 minutes that day. You're just talking to everybody. You go down the freezer aisle for no reason, right? You're just, oh, oh, hey, good to see you. What happens when you're in a rush? Somebody cut you off in the parking lot and all the cashier lanes are closed except the self-checkout and you're not getting paid to check yourself out? Like what happens to your attitude and to what's on the inside of you when that happens. That's when we get bumped and something spills out. Jesus says, hey, what's here on the inside of me is of such greater value. If we're going to live in the middle places, in order to live in the middle places, we got to keep the inside of the cup clean. And what people find has to be refreshing. Otherwise, if you end up in the middle places, instead of people having their life changed, they'll be deterred from Christianity. See, if if what we're getting out is bitterness, if what we're getting out is pain, if what we're getting out is a distraction, friend, we'll do the direct opposite of our purpose, which is to bring people closer to Jesus. Instead, we'll steer them far away. We have to choose to be that safe place. It says in verse 12, the woman continues, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now this is important. She's, she's so missed it. Now she's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you how much I know. Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is a patriarch of the faith, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He gave us this well and drank from it himself and, son, he, and so did his sons and his livestock. Time out. Have you ever had that thing where people talk to you about your church? They're like, oh, my goodness, I don't understand why you guys have cushioned chairs. Pews were good enough for my daddy and my granddaddy and a great... You ever had that? Oh, I don't know why you need lights. It's easy to see is what we need them for, you know? But you'll have these conversations, and if you're not careful, you're going to make the inside of the cup dirty because you're going to argue about something that doesn't matter. 
Jesus doesn't tell her in this moment, oh, you want to talk about Jacob? Oh, you talk about your grandfather Jacob? What about uh, God's my father? He didn't get a comparison game. So Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. She cannot deny that. Why? Because she's come to this well every day, her entire life. Said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, it sounds awesome. Sir, give me this water. But you can tell she's already missed it again because she says, whew, I don't have to come back here anymore. What she thinks is, I don't have to come back here anymore and see the people who know me anymore. But Jesus is like, no, 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 you'll still have to get physical water. But what I'm giving you is everlasting and eternal. Don't get into arguments with people who are outside. Don't get into arguments about what Bible version or, or friends, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Jesus could have argued and said he was concerned with making her alive again. He just elevated the conversation. Hey, you know what? You've tried that before, haven't you? You've tried to find your community in a group of people who hate other people, friend. It just left you more bitter and painful. Hey, come on, you got in these circles, and in these circles you just talked bad about other people, and it still left you bitter and hurting again. What I'm telling you is there is a love that goes so much deeper. Oh, I tried to find my commonality based on my brokenness or based on my weakness. I surrounded myself with the same struggles that other people have. And the problem is we just struggle together, and then we make each other feel good about our struggle. But Jesus says, no, 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 there is a healing. There is a hope that you can be different again. And so this woman, this woman says, give me that water. She's starting to track now. Now she's not worried about the well anymore. She just sees, oh, Jesus, you can do something for me that no one's ever done. It goes on in verse 16 and says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and, and come here. And Jesus is playing with her right here. You got to see how Jesus does it. Go tell your husband, tell Billy to come over here. And she says, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, you and I read that, and we're like, oh, Jesus knew about her. Or number one, we know that Jesus didn't know naturally. He knew supernaturally because the Spirit of God on the inside of him knew about this woman. That's why he had to go to Samaria. But now he's in Samaria, and he says to this woman, hey, you've already had five husbands. Listen, this isn't just saying something about her. This means she has been discarded and disgraced by five men. The five men have already let her down. Five men have already said, you're not good enough. That they passed her down. Oh, she couldn't leave them. She didn't have the power to leave them. These are men leaving her life over and over again. It makes you wonder why her trust factor wasn't high in the beginning. Sir, where's your, where's your bucket? Had other men come out at this hour and found her? Or is, is this a reoccurring thing in her life that men just show up at the wrong place at the wrong time? But this is a different set of circumstances. The woman said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. Prophet, someone who knows what you don't know, but you know in your soul. It says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, Jesus never said this. She's saying, because you're a Jew, you say that Jerusalem's a place that we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. And neither here or on this mountain that we will worship. But it will be that we will worship him in spirit and in truth. So again, Jesus just elevates the conversation. He just says, hey, I get that you're concerned about where, but it's not about where, it's about who. It's about God. 
And he's letting her know that this God of the Spirit lives inside of him and has come to now make her new. If we go to the middle places, we'll be able to address people's past but push them towards their future. Oh, don't leave people in their pain. Don't leave them in their past. Listen, here's what I'm saying. When you go to the middle places, when you get in the murky ground, when you get into some spots that it feels like, ah, don't leave people there. Oh, address their past. Address the issue. But then push them towards their future. One of the greatest opportunities I had when I first came to Oneonta, Alabama, a friend of mine in the church told me about a friend of their family who was sitting at Blount County Jail. And I had never been to Blount County Jail voluntarily. And... I got there, and you have to go through this whole thing. you got to take off your hat, and you got to, I mean, everything's out of your pockets, and this big door opens up, and then it closes behind you. And in that moment, even though you're visiting, you're like, uh, who's going to let me out? Like, I, I didn't, I left my phone with them. I'm in the middle place. I remember I sat across from this young lady, and all she wanted to focus on was her past. See, this woman, she knew her past. She knew all about it. She knew all the men that had left her. Jesus had to let her know that he knew. So I can remember sitting across from that woman. I listened. I heard her story. She just kept apologizing, kept crying. I don't know how I got here. It's all so bad. When she was finished, I said, oh, it's bad. But the great news is this, is rock bottom is a solid place to start your life again. Do you know that Jesus has a plan for you in the middle of this prison? I don't know when you'll get out, but I know how many people... You can impact on the inside. Hey, there can be purpose even in the middle of your prison. We addressed it. We got her a plan together. Say, hey, come on. As soon as your day's out, you got to know where you're going. We addressed the past. But we had to push toward the future. If you're not focused on getting them to their future, you'll end up being a product of their past. Friends, when God tells us to get out of the four walls of the church, it's not so we can look like the people that are broken. It's so that we can be wounded healers. Wounded healers. People who have recognized the pain of sin so deep that we don't want it for anybody else. The pain of brokenness so deep that we don't want it for anybody else. That we would run out to them. Say, hey, I know somebody that can heal you. I know somebody that can restore everything in your life and make it new again. It says that the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Who's called the Christ? When he comes... He's going to tell us everything. She's talking about Jesus to Jesus. Hey, he'll tell me, listen, you sound like a great prophet, but Jesus is coming. He's going to do something with me one day. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? No one said, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come. See, a man who told me all that I ever did, can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town, and they were coming to him. When Jesus decided that what was on inside of him had to get out and into her, she went back into that place and got them out of what they were in and back to him. I'm wondering this weekend, if we're really the church that Jesus created and destined, if we're willing to say, we'll get out so we can get people out. Get them out of their addiction. Get them out of their pain. Get into the middle places where it's a little bit murky. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I charge you with this weekend. Listen, there will be many things that will change about 
this building, formats, songs, preachers. One of the greatest things that I've seen that's happened in our church is the fact that Pastor Ed's going to preach in a suit and tie, and I can preach in rolled-up jeans and a bowling shirt, you know? Oh, things will look different. There will be things that change. The chairs may change. The lights may change. The music may change. All I'm asking you to do, if you're truly the church that Jesus started, judge the fruit, not the formula. Judge the fruit, not the formula. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus went and sat at the well with this woman. We don't see that he sat at another well with another woman. He did that so that that woman could then go into that town and see life change happen. All I'm asking you this weekend is are we getting out back to the places that we came from? Getting back to those places. Seeing the fruit of life change continue. I don't know where your Samaria is. I don't know where it is that you've got to go to the middle. I can promise you this, though. When you get into the middle, there'll be two things that happen. There'll be some people that cheer you on, and there'll be some people who critique you all the way. But when you're committed to being like Jesus, you'll champion his cheer over all the other critics. Because you know what life change feels like. There's a story that goes that in the Second World War, there's a group of soldiers that were serving in France. While serving in France, one of their comrades, he died. They were committed to him having a beautiful place to be buried, though. They knew that the war was hard and somebody's being left or unrecoverable, and they decided for this brother, we have to find him a place to be buried. And so they scoured the countryside and they find this picturesque Catholic church. Oh, it was beautiful and had a cemetery. They went and they met with the priest. They said, sir, our comrade's fallen and we want to give him a proper burial. Could we bury him here inside the walls of this church at this beautiful cemetery that you have? And the priest, as kind as he could, looked at the soldiers. He said, was this man baptized Catholic? The men looked at each other and they said, sir, we don't believe so. We'll pay whatever it costs. He said, guys, I'm sorry. There's just no way. I can't do it. I can't bring him inside the walls of the cemetery. He wasn't baptized Catholic. He said, but there is a place just outside the wall. Looks down on the hill and sees some beautiful trees. And I think that would be a, a good place. And so the priest showed him the spot. The men went out. And they dug their comrade a grave. And they buried him there. The war finished. They went home. They decided to come back and visit. They came back to the place where they had buried their fallen friend. They searched all around the walls of this cemetery and they couldn't find anywhere that he was buried. They looked and looked and finally they, they went in the church and at this point they're panicking. Who would have picked up the body of their friend? Who stole their brother? They get in the church. They're frantic. They're scared. Sir, where's our friend? We looked, and he's not there. He looked at the soldiers and he said, After you left, my heart began to break. And while I couldn't bring him inside the walls, I woke up the next morning, and I began to move the walls on the other side of the grave. Let us be a church 
that moves the walls, that pushes them back, that says no man will be left behind. I'll go to the middle places. I'll bring them in. Whatever it costs me, whatever it looks like, we got to keep going after them. Oh, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Let's be people that move the walls.